0: Kids, uh, to the back, and uh, while you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, if you would please. Daniel <clears throat> chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is easy to find. It's right after Daniel chapter 5. So it'll be a help to you there, and you're welcome. Now, what I need you to do today while we have the service here is to ignore the smell of food. Um, I know it's tough to listen to somebody drone on and on when there's the smell of food in front of us, but uh, we'll let the growling of our stomachs keep each other awake, all right? That'll help us as we go through, (coughs) but uh, Daniel chapter 6, Rudyard Kipling was a writer and a poet, He made quite a bit of money in what he did in all his writings, and in fact, they did some figuring one time that he got uh, about $100 a word that he wrote. And so a reporter came to him one time and said, did you realize that? You're getting paid $100 a word. And uh, Mr. Kipling said, I wasn't really aware of that. And so the reporter takes out a $100 bill, he holds it out to Mr. Kipling, and he says, here, Mr. Kipling, give me a $100 word. And he said, Phew, thanks. <laughs> and he's right. Thanks is a $100 word. It's a million-dollar word. We ought to be grateful. Amen? We should be a grateful people. And it's the one word that is too seldom heard and too rarely spoken and too often forgotten. Thank you. The attitude of thankfulness. If we all would adopt an attitude of thanksgiving into our lives, hey, our lives would be improved every single day of our life. And although we are celebrating Thanksgiving this week, we ought to celebrate that every single day. It's a good thing to be thankful. 1 Chronicles 16.8 Give thanks unto the Lord. First so, Chronicles 16, 30, 34. O oh, give thanks unto thee, O Lord, uh, uh, Therefore, or, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm eighteen forty nine. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, all ye saints of his, and give thanks. Psalm 100, verse 4. Did you know, by the way, the gate to God's house has a password? Did you know that? Psalms 100 and verse 4 it gives it to you. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's your password right there. Thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts uh, by the which ye are called into one body and be ye thankful. All throughout the Bible... The Bible tells us to be thankful. It also tells us who to be thankful to. Uh, We are to be thankful to the one who is responsible for our blessings. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful every day of our lives. Now, I want to read here a passage in Daniel. It's a very well-known passage to you. It should be, verse number 1, chapter 6, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three prince, presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then was Daniel, uh, this Daniel was preferred above the princes, the presidents, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Get the picture here. Daniel is... Basically, the prince of princes. He is the one over everybody. He's the king's, really kind of like Joseph was. He's second to command, and the king was considering at this point to make Daniel his prime minister, to make Daniel the, over everything just right under him. Now, people around him were not happy with this. <coughs> Verse 4, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We can't find Daniel doing anything wrong, except in the area that of his worship. So they assembled together, verse 6, to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the princes of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make the firm decree, whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. I want to talk to you today about thank you during tough times. Thank you during tough times, Father. I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes together. Here, we'll give you the glory for what you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, there are many passages in Scripture today we could be looking at concerning Thanksgiving. Lots of passages talk about Thanksgiving, and and uh, I love the story about the ten lepers that got healed, and only one came back and thanked Jesus for what He did. Uh, There's a lot of stories about thankfulness and the lack thereof, but I'd like to consider a scene out of Daniel's life today. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And in this story, we see that Daniel, uh, by the way, I asked my Sunday school class this morning, do you know how old Daniel was when he was put into the lion's den? Do you have a picture, a mental picture in your mind of how old he was as they cast him in and he tumbles down into the lion's den? He was 81 years old when he was put into the lion's den. We often think of him younger than that, but that's about how old Daniel was, 80 to 81 years old. And uh, these events that, that happen here in chapter 6 are happening after the new government is being formed. Uh, King Darius, uh, he was a Persian. He had, he had just taken over Babylon, 539 to 537 B.C. And there's uh, Jewish captives. Some of them had been sent back to Jerusalem, but Daniel was still here. And now he's under King Darius. He had power in the Darius administration. Darius was extremely impressed by Daniel as every other king was before him that had known Daniel. The uh, Bible says he had an excellent spirit about him. His character, the way he treated people, the way he carried himself uh, was something that was recognized by even a wicked king that there's something special about Daniel and the God that he serves. In the very beginning... Daniel had set this precedent for excellence. You remember in Daniel chapter 1, when he first became a slave and went to the new land, they were, they were getting, they took they a three-year fitness program where they'd get them all in shape for the king and, and uh, they fed them the best foods and I'm sure they had all the, the best workouts and the training regimens and all that to get them ready to serve the king. And Daniel said, we're not going to eat the, the, the food that we you know, the Jews had things against uh, certain foods they weren't supposed to eat, and they said, we're not going to eat the king's meat, give us pulse to eat. Pulse. That's uh, uh, that's like black-eyed peas, and um, uh, split pea soup, and turnip greens, all of which I love, but I don't know why I traded in for the king's meat and the food that he was serving, but they did that, and... Uh, by the way, they're the first ones. If you ever want to know where the low-carb diet started, right there, Daniel chapter 1. Uh, well, he was the first one to go on it. Now, in Daniel 1.20, the Bible says they found Daniel and his friends were ten times better than the others. Can I tell you, God's ways are always ten times better. Now, here Daniel is decades later, and he's, uh, the principle that he started with early on has served him well. He's had an excellent spirit. Daniel's different than the fellows he's working with. Even the king recognizes that. They're devious, they're divisive, they're deceitful. Daniel was a man of purpose, a man of prayer, a man of principle. Uh, He was a man of power. He was different. He had God all over him. He was ten times better. He had an excellent spirit. And everybody recognized it. But oh, there was a slight problem. Because when you serve God, when you please God and please God, Other fellow Christians, you do not please the world. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be opposition. And when God is honored, the world is not a fan. Daniel is surrounded by jealous, power-hungry men who want to take him down. It's interesting to me that they watched him and they found nothing. They hired the best private investigator that money could buy. They put him on Daniel. They gave him a big old fat notebook. You write down everything you get that you see Daniel do that might, we might be able to use against him. Well, the private investigator followed him. Uh, day after day followed him, but he found nothing that Daniel did. Everything he said he was, he was. Let me ask you a question. What if someone hired a PI to follow you in your life and to look into every aspect, public, private, past, present in your life. Suppose they checked out your high school and college records. They saw how you treated your children, how you treat your spouse. They looked at your internet usage. They looked at your financial records. They saw everything that you watch on television. Uh, They see what you do on vacation. They look at every relationship that you've ever had. They look at your tax returns. They look into your bedroom closet. And they look at how you act on the job and on and on and on. How would you stand up to that kind of scrutiny? That's a convicting question, isn't it? Daniel stood up to it perfectly well. He was who he said he was. They could find nothing on him. And so finding nothing, they made their next move, in which we see verses 6 through 9. They decide they're going to create a law that would force Daniel to get in trouble. And so they come to the... You've heard the, you've heard the term absolute power corrupts Absolutely. Well, Darius pretty much had this. He had absolute power as a king. Uh, He had only to give the word, and armies would go to war. He could pass judgment on a case, and so it was. There was no supreme court that would overrule Darius. His word was law. And so uh, uh, his slightest wish or whim was gratified instantly. He had absolute power. Now, here he has the princes and the presidents all seeking an audience with him. Not only that, get this. They said they had a unanimous subject they wanted to talk to him about. Something they unanimously agreed on. When is the last time you've seen your government unanimously uh, agree on anything? This is an unusual situation. That everybody would unanimously be for uh, something they're going to bring the king. So that in itself was suspicious. Actually... I think they were all unanimous when they voted themselves erased, weren't they? I think that's one kudos we can give them. They all saw that in one light. Maybe the king is searching his mind. Did he make a misstep? Did some injustice need to be addressed? Did some uh, corruption need to be corrected? Whatever it was, this was serious because all of the government, king, we need to meet with you, every single one of us, all the cabinet, the princes, the presidents, all their staff, Everyone needs to meet with you, and we are unanimous on what we want to talk to you about. Well, they gather. In fact, then the significance of their request is found in verse number 8. The decree, your mastery must be a decree, sure decree when signed, one that cannot be changed. One that even the law of the Medes and Persians can't alter it. No doubt Darius is burning to find out what this decree was. Then they presented it to him, and he's surprised, and he's flattered. That nobody would pray to anybody but to me for 30 days? Hey, that sounds pretty good. Uh, I, uh, I mean, this played up to his ego, exactly what those wicked men wanted to do. This played up to his pride, and he said, sure, that sounds great. The flattery went to his head. He threw caution into the wind, and he signed the decree. He didn't even notice if he'd have paid attention that even though they said it was unanimous, but that decree was not unanimous. Because if he looked carefully, he just saw one signature was missing, a very important signature, the chief of the presidents and princes, the name above all of the other names, the name of his favorite, Daniel. His name wasn't on there. But his flattery was stroked and his uh, ego was uh, all puffed up. And so he thought, I'll sign this thing. And so he did. By the way, it was a ridiculous decree. If you took it to its extreme, a boy in his own house couldn't ask his dad for an extra piece of cake. If you really took this to its extreme. But uh, they were out to get Daniel. Selfishness and sin never stops to think about the consequences. It just does. Now, Daniel finds himself the target. He's no fool. Uh, He knows what they're up to, verse 10. What will he do? Well, you say... If I were Daniel, and and here's the thing, folks, we're in his shoes all the time. We make a decision for God that we're going to be faithful. We're going to pray pray a certain amount of time. We're going to read our Bible a certain amount, and we make this decision for God. And then all kinds of obstacles get up in front of us, and then all kinds of trouble get in our path. Obstacles will rise up if you make a decision for God. You're put to a test whether you'll stand up for God or not. Daniel goes to his house. The Bible says his window's being open. They're open out to the trees that are beside his house, and you got guys with binoculars in there watching him. See what he'll do. Because they've made a decree. He's not supposed to pray. What will he do next? They know that's what he does every day. By the way, if you do the math, you'll find that if Daniel prayed three times a day, like the Bible says, by age 80, which he is approximately, the answer, uh, the, the, the amount of prayers he's prayed is 93 thousand prayers plus. It's an ingrained habit. And just because a bunch of hooligans told him he's not allowed to pray anymore, he's not going to stop because somebody told him that he's got a habit he's going to follow, he's got a uh, a conviction about it, and he's going to go forward with his daily routine. He went home, he knelt down, he faced toward Jerusalem, and he offered his prayers to God. He did it knowing that they're going to catch him. He did it knowing that his future might very well be a lion's den. Now, you might say today, preacher, this is a great story. But what does this story have to do with thanksgiving? Well, read with me. We stopped at verse 9. Uh, read along with me, you know, not allow, but you read along with me as I do in, in verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open and his chamber toward Jerusalem, and he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and... and Wait. He prayed and... Give me those next two words. What's the next two words? Gave thanks. Now what is that? What's going on here? I understand that when we have a good harvest, we give thanks. I understand that when we get a raise at work, we give thanks. When we have a... Beautiful day and the depths of November. We give thanks. But here Daniel is with a death sentence over his head. All his co-workers are against him. He has no friends. He has no one that can do anything for him to help him avoid a death penalty. The king respects him, but he can't do anything about his own decree. Here he's about to be lion fodder. He's about to lose his life. What in the wide world is there to be thankful for? Yet here he is praying and giving thanks. When times were good, he gave thanks. And now he still gives thanks. I have a question for you today. What do we require in our life before we can give thanks to God? What has to happen before we can be thankful? We we tend to sometimes have a list of, you know, it's got to be like this and like this and like this and like this, and we'll be thankful, otherwise we'll complain. Well, we ought to be thankful. Just be thankful. We can always be thankful for something, and we ought to live like that. The Bible says in Hebrews thirteen fifteen gives a really interesting phrase. By him, therefore, let us offer, here it is, the sacrifice of praise to God continually. The sacrifice of praise. And it uses the word continually, when you're up and when you're down. When the sun is shining, when the rain is falling. When you feel like praising, when you don't feel like praising. There is a praise in our life that really is a sacrifice of praise. It's praise when circumstances are against you. When if you pray to God, you could lose your life and be thrown in a den of hungry lions. Uh, All of a sudden, praise is not as easy to give. Then it might become a sacrifice. Praise when defeat comes. Praise when your health fails. Praise when poverty replaces prosperity. Praise when you're in financial straits. I'm talking about the sacrifice of praise. And if you want to define that phrase, I think a great definition is when you replace the things that change for the things that never change. Circumstances change. They do. One day it's good. Another day it's bad. You'd think about just two weeks ago. I mean, we were... I, two weeks ago from today, I was looking at, uh, we, we were starting the pastor's conference this Friday. We had a revival service coming up. and Everything's going great. In that week, two deaths, or one death, I'm sorry. One on the way and somebody very dear to my heart in my own family that's that's uh, having some struggles. And just different things are are happening and everything kind of comes in all at once. And I'm telling you, friend... Uh, Lots of times circumstances will change, but the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It may be a lousy day, but my name's written in heaven. I may be sick, but my name's written in heaven. Oh, listen, friend, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. When you get to the place where you can't praise instinctively, we get there sometimes. It's not a natural thing. You know, we're sick or we're, uh, we're everything, the world's just falling apart and the world's coming down on us and everything seems to be going wrong and we're not naturally saying, oh, praise the Lord for everything. We're just not naturally there. It, listen, we need to let our mind take over our emotions at that point. It's easy to praise God when you get a raise. It's a sacrifice of praise when your hours get reduced. It's easy to praise God when the bills are paid. It's a sacrifice of praise when the collector's on hold. It's easy to praise God when, uh, when our children do well. It's a sacrifice of praise when our children are sick or if they are prodigal. I'm just simply saying today, we need to praise no matter whether it's easy or whether it's hard. We give either the natural praise or the sacrifice of praise, but we got to be constantly thankful to the Lord. You say, well, preacher, I'm just not the praising type. I'm a glass half empty kind of person pessimism. You know, the pessimist can hardly wait for the future so he can look back with regret. I don't want to live my life as a pessimist. I don't want to live my life that way. Have you ever been around pessimists? They're just a ray of sunshine, aren't they? People that are always down, yeah, but then this could happen. Just don't be a pessimist. Be an optimist. Nobody wants to be around pessimists. Praise God, even when it's not natural. Praise, listen, Praising God is not for those that naturally praise. Praising God is for every single Christian, every single child of God. Now we all know there's some people that are just happy. I mean, they see the bright side and everything. Of course, they'll drive you nuts too, won't they? The ones that just see the sunshine and everything. Uh, either side, don't be, we'll go don't go to extremes is what I'm saying here. We need to be we need to praise though. We need to be thankful in all things. It is character when we substitute. Emotion, uh, we substitute a character for emotion in praising God. Listen, it was praise for Job when he was gathered around the table with all of his children, they were having a big meal and enjoying each other's company. It was joyful, it was praising, and he thanked God for it. It was a sacrifice of praise when he stood before ten graves with the smoke of his land still rising up, having lost everything. And he said this in Job chapter 1.21, The Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we don't, things don't work out the way we plan. Praise God anyway. Here's Daniel. You talk about a hostile work environment. All his colleagues are out to get him. There's a coup set up to trap him. He has no friends. Life is not fair. If he prays, he puts a death sentence in his own, over his own head, yet he gets down on his knees, his windows being open, and he gives thanks to his God. That's incredible to me. It's a sacrifice of praise. This this was not a natural time to be thankful. Oh, Lord, I'm so excited. Might get to meet some lions. You know, it's not a great time to be thankful. An easy time. But he gave thanks. It would do us well to praise our God. It would do us well to be thankful. In victory, praise God. In defeat, praise God anyway. In, vic- in health, praise God. In sickness, praise God anyway. In prosperity, praise God. In poverty, praise God anyway. Uh, in friendship, praise God. In loneliness, praise God anyway. In the mount- on the mountaintop, praise God. In the valley, praise God anyway. First Thessalonians 5.18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not for everything. But in everything give thanks. It's a command. Now there's reasons it's good to give thanks to the Lord. We'll, uh, we're moving right along here. A heavenward reason. There's a heavenward ingratitude. We recognize that God is always in control. He changes not. Listen, our financial security, our family situation, our personal health may change. And uh, hey, in, in their society things change. Our presidents might change. They might change. We might not have any idea who they even are. Amen. But God never changes. He stays the same. When we give thanks, our hearts and minds are heavenward towards an unchanging, unshaken God. Gratitude. An attitude of gratitude will make your theology real and practical every day. Also, from an inward point, it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord because it changes us. It changes our outlook. Uh, Isaiah 26.3 reminds us, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. An attitude of gratitude promotes a peace in the midst of the storm. Horatio Spafford knew something about the changes in life and how quickly <clears throat> it can throw you a curveball. He was a successful attorney. He was a real estate investor in the city of Chicago. He was doing well, lived in the 1860s and 70s, and he was successful, he became wealthy. And then he lost most of his fortune in the fire of 1871, the Great Chicago Fire. At about the same time, his four-year-old son, his only boy, died uh, because, of being, uh, because of a sickness, scarlet fever, heartbroken. His whole family had four daughters, and he had uh, one son. His whole family was heartbroken. They decided they needed to get away from it all for a while. They lost everything. Uh, now they would lost one of their family. They were just uh, a very sad. And so he, they decided they would go over to England for a short vacation. And he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship, and he would follow about a week later because he had some business to attend to. So they were on this ship, and as they are crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision, and it sank. His four daughters went down into a watery grave. Only his wife, Anna, survived. When she got to England, she sent a telegram to her husband. Horatio immediately set sail for England. During his voyage, uh, he uh, was down in his cabin one time, and the captain called for him, and, or sent for him, and they brought Horatio up to the deck. And the captain says, I thought you might want to know, but right over the spot we're at right now is where your daughters went down where that ship crashed. I can't imagine the grief that was in his heart. He had lost his fortune. He had lost his son. He had lost his daughters. Much like Job, lost everything but his wife. And he takes out a piece of paper and he writes down some words that you're all very familiar with. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, how could a man write words like that when his whole life is falling apart? It was a sacrifice of praise. It's not a natural thing to do, but he recognized that I may lose everything that's temporary, but I have some things that are permanent that, are, that nobody can take away. My name is written in heaven. My children are in heaven. There's a God in heaven, and He is in control. Listen, it takes a sacrifice to praise sometimes, but we need to praise anyhow. We give thanks to the Lord. We recognize the pattern of His wonderful works in our life. We can be so forgetful, can't we? We forget what God's done for us. In Psalm 107, I love this chapter. Uh, I think Pastor Forsberg talked about this on a Wednesday night prayer minute recently. But Psalm 107, if you uh, look at that chapter, it, it, it it shows that God understands how we are. Because he says this, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, you say, well, that sounds good. It's Psalms 107. You know what verse says that? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Verse 1, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. It's almost like a wife telling her husband over and over and over the same thing. They say man talks about... uh, 9,000 words a minute. woman talks about 30,000. It's because she has to repeat herself over and over and over to get the message across, you know? But uh, six times this verse is in that. Why? Because we need to hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Trouble comes. Ah! Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Of trial hits your life, what am I going to do? Oh, that men would praise the Lord. We need to keep hearing it and keep hearing it and keep hearing it. We need to be thankful. Things change in our life. When we give thanks, we're reminded of the one we can trust for the next chapter in our life. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living because He lives. If God is good, and God has been good, then God will be good for the rest of my life and all of eternity. We need to understand who God is and who we are, and that will help us. How could Daniel give thanks? How could he give thanks? Because he had faith in the one who was in control. Now, there's several attitudes that will steal away our gratitude. One of them is pride. Pride will take away our gratitude. No, no, No one ever get me anything. So and so has this and I don't have that. I sh- I deserve this. Pride. A critical spirit or a complaining spirit. Instead of being grateful, this person will get a nit uh, a, a, get start uh, get a PhD in nitpicking, constantly picking and complaining and criticizing. Don't be that person, be grateful. A thankful person's not a criticizer. A criticizer's not thankful. Be thankful. How about apathy, carelessness? Have you ever considered that if the stars only came out one night a year, we'd sit up all night and watch them, wouldn't we? we we'd make plans. We'd sit outside. We'd have, like they do with the, with the uh, eclipses, man, we'd have a whole big party watching the stars, but since they're there every night, we just get used to them. Some of us hardly ever look up. Not a big deal. How, how many times in our life, all the riches of God's blessings on our life, and we just get used to them. We're not considering them anymore. We just, we just complain about what we don't have, and we don't consider all that God's blessed us with. The Israelites grumbled because they had no food, so God miraculously sent manna. Manna, it, if you read the Bible description, it tasted just like peanut butter pie. You can read it. It's in the, you have to go to the original language a little bit, but it's there. And then they had that manna. And guess what they did then? They complained again. God sent them quail. Guess what they did then? They complained again. We forget God's blessings in our life. We get used to them because of pride, a critical spirit, and apathy. We're not thankful for what God has given. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want to ask you a question today. Could you give thanks if lions were in your future? I got terrible news for you. Lions are in your future. They might not be actual roaring cats, but they are lions in the form of trouble, in the form of trial, the loss of a dear friend, the loss of a family member. These things are in our future. So I ask you, are we going to keep praising God? Are we going to be complaining? Are we going to do the right thing? Give thanks in spite of trouble. Give thanks in the midst of trouble. That's what we ought to do. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm gonna have the pianos come forward.